You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest-growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. As a broker and investor myself, I'm tracking the market. I want to know what's going on, and for me, I love to try and figure out what comes next, and that's really what this entire podcast has come out of, being able to keep you guys up to date on the latest news and from the perspective of someone who is in the business all the time. This is, this is all we do around here. But today we're going to start off discussing is the real estate bubble ready to burst? According to experts, we're going to look at different perspectives from people all surrounding the real estate industry and what they have to say comes next for us. And then I want to get in this discussion of blind bidding and the deception a lot of consumers have been up against or a lot of people feeling empty, a lot of people feeling like they lost even when they win a multiple offer situation. And there's been some calls to having changes made to that. We're going to discuss that as well. And how are Canadian banks secretly circumventing the new mortgage stress test that just took place that was supposed to make it harder to qualify? Well, guess what? It just got a whole lot easier with some banks. Some of the things we're going to discuss today. And of course, COVID is still going on, which is a big part of all of everything that's happening here. And we just had Peel order two partial closures over the weekend. And now we have Toronto targeting 12 locations for closures. All of these things. Doesn't matter what you manufacture anymore. If you got COVID outbreaks, watch out. (laughs) And if you work at a chess piece factory, that included the night shifts. (laughs) Get it? Night shift. Anyways, we like to have some fun in the show. I put all the energy into putting this together for you guys. If I can't chuckle a little bit, I don't know what's the point. If you could, if you're joining us for the first time, please subscribe. If you're following us consistently and you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Hit the bell for notifications. And if you'd like, you can jump on to our off-market and apartment set, uh, deal list. Got the link down for that below. And I'm actually thinking about sending one. I think it's going to be tonight or tomorrow. A condo that's out in Scarborough. We'll be sending that out. It's off-market and discounted power of sale deal opportunities come up like this all the time we want to share them with you guys it's all about sharing around here share 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 okay let's get into our first topic is the real estate bubble ready to burst according to experts well before we go there let's discuss briefly what's going on in the market because we've got just recently a bit more of an update on the condo market A BNM Bloomberg article just released, this is the first article of the day, Toronto's condo market springs to life with 80% jump in sales. Now, any of you guys have been following our show know you gotta be really careful with the, the numbers, the percentage increase year over year in any segment right now, especially as we round into next month, because you're really comparing against a very strange 2020. But this isn't to take away from the value of what's going on in the condo market today. Toronto's condo market battered by a pandemic that sent city residents looking for more space is bouncing back. That it is. The number of condos sold in the Toronto metropolitan area surged 80% in the first quarter compared with the year earlier, while new leases, we'll talk about rentals as well, also jumped. According to Trip, the number of units put up for sale, meanwhile, gained 43%. So we're seeing a lot more sales than we're seeing new listings coming on. So this is obviously leading to an increase in active listings, which is really the trend that's taking place here. 
but this isn't necessarily the case everywhere. This is just specific to the condo market. They say this, Lisa Patel, president of Treb says, many realtors have noted a marked increase in condo interest since the beginning of 2021. And I have too, I have. This interest will likely continue to increase as the economy improves and vaccine take up accelerates, resulting in more confidence for first time buyers. Buyers and renters appear to be taking advantage of discounts, which still exist. By the way, average selling prices are down 1.4% from a year ago. This is uh, $645,000, the data shows, and rent for a one-bedroom has declined, listen to this, 17% year-over-year. So there are still discounts to be found in these markets. Do you think that's maybe why people are running there? I think that's one of the reasons, not to mention the option, the freehold, is getting a little bit out of control. And, and we'll talk about that. That's the other side of this entire coin. But supply and therefore choice for renters remain very high from a historic perspective. This is Jason Mercer, Mercer chief market analyst from Treb's statement. He says, however, if growth in rental transactions continues to outstrip growth in listings, market conditions will become tighter as we move through 2021 and even more so in 2022 as immigration and non-permanent migration rebound. So things could get tighter, hotter, specifically in the condo market. And when we look at the rentals, just to give you some context there as well, GTA active rental listings as an update, we actually have a big decline, over 500 units in active rental listings compared to last week. So week over week, we're seeing a pretty steady dropping since it looks like November of 2020, we've seen a steady decline in the number of active listings for lease. So yes, there's a discount in there, but we are seeing tightening happen. We'll get a little bit further into the show today. We'll discuss the rental market with more detail. But we're seeing rental inventory dropping pretty quickly on a weekly basis. And it reminds me of the accident at the glass factory. <laughs> In that, <laughs> it's painful to watch. Oh, listening to some of these jokes, that'd be pretty painful too. But we'll share more about rentals soon. So let's get into the overall market then. We're actually going to look at Canada as a whole. Canada as a whole, we got a Better Dwelling article called Canadian Real Estate is Moving from Pent-Up Demand to Pent-Up Supply. Korea, the Canadian Real Estate Association, had data that shows new listings grew faster than sales in March. So again, back to our discovery here. When we have an increase in listings relative to sales, naturally we're starting to see active listings declining, right? Because they're coming on faster than they're leaving. And this seems to be the case. This seems to be the case outside of the condo market and the rental market, what we're seeing across the country. The number of new listings hitting the market was some of the highest ever. Unadjusted new listings were just under the May 2017 record high. That was the month that non-residents buying rules were introduced back in 2017. Probably remember that. As for annual unadjusted growth, that's also an all-time high. The market rarely sees this much inventory coming to market at once. People are taking advantage of the high prices across the country, and we have a massive influx of new listings. The market cooling on its own as the year goes on has been a, pro a popular call. We've got the Bank of Canada who previously said they would expect the market to cool in the second half of the year. We've got banks saying much of the same. The market is cooling itself, which in my opinion is a best case scenario. Let's hope that trend continues. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So this brings me to our discussion of a bubble because not everybody would agree that the housing market is going to cool. I mean, we've just experienced 20, in some cases, 30% year over year increases in prices, even in the GTA. So is the bubble ready to burst, according to experts. I want to take time to discuss various viewpoints, starting with a Toronto Sun article called Real Estate Bubble Ready to Burst. 
Here's what they said. When we asked our panel of experts, just under one third believed Canada's sky high real estate prices could send Canada into a recession. While just over a third, 38%, did not believe a recession would result with another one third unsure. Wow. So notice how experts are all over the map. <laughs> They're constantly losing the game of cat and mouse. We've seen this all the way through COVID. It's not until the cheese factory explodes that you see debris everywhere. <laughs> so here's a few headlining names that they, they discuss this with and what their opinions are on the market and the bubble and the potential for a burst. Mosh Lander, economics professor at Concordia University, said this, quote, all of the hundreds of billions of dollars of government spending that has found its way into the economy has had to go somewhere. While the headlines focus on reduced household spending and increased savings level, that money has ended up in residential markets and the stock market. When the dust settles and something resembling normalcy returns in 2022 or later in 2021, these markets will turn sharply and wipe out huge amounts of wealth that households had accumulated or debt that they had been reduced during the go-go spending binge in 2020 and 2021. So we're going to pay for our practices. Carl Gomez, chief economist and head of market analytics at CoStar, firmly believes prices are disconnected from fundamentals, which is really the definition of a bubble. And they say, should, he says, should prices revert, it would have a meaningfully negative impact on household balance sheet that could also reverberate across the financial system. Some serious doom and gloom going on out here. Brett House, Deputy Chief Economist at Scotiabank, says Canada continues to face a substantial housing supply deficit in its major metropolitan areas, which is set to be made more acute as immigration numbers step up. But he does not believe it is enough to drive Canada into recession. And so this viewpoint is that the supply is the issue, not prices dropping. The supply is the issue. So it's, it's important to note when we're discussing the crisis or the challenges in our housing market, the bubble that's growing, if you believe in that notion, it's not just a matter of prices going to the moon. It's also a concern of supply. I mean, there's other issues that are going on in our market. And supply seems to be the big one. If we look at the way the federal government plans on spending your money based on the recent budget announcements, it's going to be a lot of ways directed at the supply side. Sebastian Laveau, chief economist of Laurentian Bank Security, said housing starts are at an all-time high, meaning supply will eventually catch up to demand. In addition, a few measures to slightly taper off demand, such as a higher stress test proposal of OSFI, which we just saw, will contribute to cooling the overheating markets. And I believe there's more to come, to be honest with you. Not necessarily from OSFI, but from various policymakers. Sherry Cooper, chief economist of Dominion Lending Center, said we will be a soft landing in the housing market once more supply comes onto the market and immigration returns to targeted levels. That definition to me, I think, is what we're witnessing, to be honest with you. I think we're starting to see a soft landing. Now, people think a soft landing is you come down and you park yourself, but it really is an up landing. And we've got ourselves at a bit of a plateau, all that could come from an increase in supply, supply filling the demand requirements that our market has. We have massive numbers of development happening. We'll talk about that later in the show as well. Roloff Van Ditchk, Senior Director, National Research and Analytics at Colliers International said, if housing prices crash, we'll go into a recession. But questions if what we have on our hands is even a speculative bubble in the first place or just a pandemic trend. <laughs> I love that. It's not a bubble. It's just a pandemic trend. <laughs> we, have, I mean, maybe... I mean, the whole world is doing it. 
We essentially stole some demand from the future as those people are likely going to move in the coming years, which is true based on the stats. We see people out migrating from Toronto, people coming into the country, landing in urban centers and the people of Toronto spreading outward. So maybe it was just people saying now's the time. Forget three years from now. Today's the day. Also, they say, though, that's not going to cause a problem because the future demand will likely be replaced by higher immigration targets in the coming years, which have been announced at the federal level. So here's the question. Are we even confident people will migrate here? <laughs> I feel like businesses are going to end up like closing and jobs will just go with them. They're just going to be like, screw this. We're leaving. Enough of this. All these closures. <laughs> Apparently, Kraft is opening a new factory in the Holy Land. They're calling it Jesus of Nazareth. That can't be real news. <laughs> but anyways, I believe personally, we're going to see large immigration. In fact, we might even hit our 2021 ridiculously high targets if we can get out of waving all the time. <laughs> CBC.ca had an article, when will the real estate bubble burst? It won't, says veteran real estate appraiser. It's really funny. They, this article, they bash a lot of realtors. They say, oh, realtors, they just want prices to go up to the roof, to the roof, to the roof. They're biased. Okay, so we'll talk to an appraiser. Okay, Les Auto. Been working in the real estate business in southwestern Ontario for the last 40 years. Had something to say about it. So he says, what does a guy from 40 years experience assessing home value say about today's unprecedented housing prices? Here's what he says. Does he see some of the, does he some, see some believe is simply a bubble that will inevitably burst? Anyways, he says, I don't see it. That's his like four word answer. <laughs> Thanks, dude. <laughs> Well, they go on to say that the current state of the housing market is seeing unprecedented prices based on unprecedented demand, which is being fueled by an influx of people looking for homes, tight housing supplies, and strict government rules on new residential development. We have a demand and a supply challenge here. It's, I mean, you want to talk about fundamentals. I, I don't think there's anything more fundamental than a balance of supply and demand, many of which have pointed to a natural increase in prices. Otto says the exodus from the GTA combined with large numbers of immigrants coming to Canada a few years ago, because don't forget, we've had tremendous immigration, has meant the supply can't keep up with demand. It hasn't been able to keep up for probably 10 years. Uh, maybe that's an overstatement, but you get my point. In other words, too many people looking for not enough homes. Quote, you have municipalities making it ever more difficult to get land shovel ready from the get land shovel ready for the day that a developer maybe goes out to buy hundred acres. It takes two to three years of planning and engineering to get it on the market. Actually our guests this week, don't miss it. We talk about this and just how challenging it is to get developments done in Ontario. Developers are saying, screw it. We're packing it up. We'll go south of the border. So much easier. Auto predicts that as the pandemic runs its course, there could be a softening of the market this winter when fewer people are looking to buy. But he said as long as interest rates and housing inventories remain low, a sudden housing crash is off the table. So we have some people that are freaking out, they're freaking out. I mean, I'll be honest with you, a couple months ago, I was kind of freaking out too, 20, 30% increase. I was really hoping that the winter market would cool things a little bit for us, and it didn't. That terrified me. What I'd like to see is things calming down a little bit calming down a little bit. And we're going to talk about some of those stats in a second. But the point here is economists can't even agree. They can't get it straight. They haven't been able to agree since last year, right? We got economists at Royal Bank and BMO think it might be necessary for policymakers to intervene and prevent real estate prices from becoming even more unaffordable for first-time homebuyers. But then we got chief economists at Bank of Nova Scotia. We got Jean-Francois Perrault. And we got the TD chief executive as well as Remax, I mean, well, <laughs> who would have thought, 
all saying we need to refrain from taking policy action to rein in soaring houses prices. If the housing market will deal with itself, then maybe we don't need to do anything. And I really, really, truly hope that that's the case. If you're going to pick a side, we need to figure out that whether or not that is the case, or is this something we need to kind of get ahead of? So intervention, what has happened so far? All we've seen, they're saying, lawmakers from any of the major parties have not expressed a desire to pass sector-altering legislation to cool down the market. Nobody wants to do that, especially if we ended up in an election. How bad would that be? That would look not so good on paper. So many people have not disturbed the peace. And to be honest with you, I'm okay with that. But some people would be a little disappointed and really hoping, hey, I've been waiting for the last five years. Now's my chance. I don't want to get buy into this market and really, you know, you get you get the you get the dilemma you get the dilemma the, the prices are going up so quick people that are on the sidelines it's not getting any more attractive sitting on the sideline the go-to solution because they, so remax gave a few other ideas to deal with the overheated market here's what here's a few of them really interesting you say you could tax people obviously but what about something else for example Add a mandatory condition to every offer, making the purchase conditional on financing. So every single person has to have a financing condition in their offer. No more clean offers, I guess. Or implement an industry, quote, watchdog to review transactions where homes are sold well over asking. Curious to see how that would play out. Also, another idea, introduce more housing supply. Nothing new there. Aside from that, the only thing they say institutions can do is publish reports that allude to growing numbers of markets, including the Toronto real estate market, that are vulnerable to a sudden collapse in prices. Oh, got it. I see. So we'll just pretend the real estate market will crash so that it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, that's what they're saying. We're just going to we're going to say, be careful, be careful, be careful. I mean, we're already doing that. No, that's like uh, M&M factory hiring a blonde to throw away all the W's. <laughs> no, Bradley, not even close. That's not at all what that's like. Plus, <laughs> blood jokes are racist in 2021, aren't they? <laughs> so why does it matter if we get housing policy right? Who cares? Who cares? Prices will go down, they'll come back up, whatever. Well, Financial Post had something to say about it. The economy versus housing. Listen to this. In the manufacturing area, wood product sales have ballooned 69.5% year over year. The rest of the sector is down 4.1%. Wow. So that's the story. Same with industrial production, where wood products yet again are resounding 21% year over year. No wonder you got all this craziness going on in the lumber industry. And the rest of the factory sector is down 2.2%. So we got an exception. We have a situation where housing starts at a record 335,000 in March. We're up an incredible 72% from year ago levels, housing and government. That's the Canadian turnaround story. So the point here is between those two, government and housing, that's all we got. That's the only thing that's keeping us afloat. Otherwise, we are in the hole. Scott Ingram, he says, you know who loves the Toronto real estate transactions and prices are way up this year? The city of Toronto. And the government of Ontario, not sure what it ended up as for 2020, but city has got to be breaking $1 billion in 2021, which really helps with affordability. So for those who think, oh, we're going to, they want to make it crash. I mean, there's a lot of money that goes into transactions. A successful sales year is great from the perspective of taxation, but you strip out government employees and construction workers and employment in Canada is running a minus 8.1% year over year pace. Employment is way down when you take those guys out. 
one has to wonder what happens to the Canadian economy when the housing bubble finally does pop, the stimulus programs abate, and the co commodity cycle runs its course. What is left? The reopening of the economy? And then I love this close. I have news for you. If the real estate gravy train ever does end, considering the outsized impact it has exerted on the economy, there is no reopening large enough to offset the housing reversal and all the negative multiplier effects that will reverberate across the entire economy. In other words, we are so dependent on housing that if it does come down, nothing else is big enough in Canada to save us. As John Pasella says, when housing has such an outsized impact on the economy as it does in Canada, it means our economy is far more vulnerable and sensitive to future declines in housing prices. And when he was asked what he thinks is going to happen in the market, he says, I think the risk of prices falling is unlikely this year, but who knows what 2022 and 2023 will look like. Now, to be honest with you, because we just came through all this chatting about bubbles, I feel like we're being very negative, so negative. But let me tell you, Unless you got fired from a pop factory today, there's no reason to be so depressed. <laughs> because I got some good news for you. <laughs> we might be seeing a soft landing taping shape even now. Here we go. John Pasales continues talking with, uh, in response to Ron Butler, who was optimistic about the market, says, I agree with Ron that this boom cycle appears to be coming to a gradual end. Okay, which is a good thing. We don't want to see this ridiculous growth for this long. I mean, it seemed as though with the way things were going, it's like the, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like every, every month outperformed the quarter, every quarter outperformed the year. And we were just seeing this getting faster and faster. And the weeks were outperforming the months. And it was just like, oh my gee, right? But maybe things have dealt with themselves. And this is, this would be fantastic. He says, John says, this is precisely why I argued in my recent report against knee-jerk policies to cool demand. Imagine if this is solving itself, if the federal budget had something crazy off the chain, primary residence exemption removal. Oh, thanks, dude. Great timing. Great timing. And you never would have even known. You would have thought he was a hero. When demand is driven by end users, it's naturally going to unwind. When you got detached home prices in Toronto at over $1.7 million, people just say, forget it. Forget it. You know, forget it. For clarity and for the housing bears, when he's talking about coming to an end, he says, I'm not suggesting a market crash. There's a difference. I just mean the frenzy we have seen since last summer is coming to an end. We should be moving to a more balanced market this summer, which I like to think we all want. I know there's people calling for a crash, but generally I think a balanced market is what we're looking for. There you go. So there's a market update. There is what is going on as it relates to the bubble and different perspectives. Make your own, draw your own conclusions. But now I want to talk about multiple offers. I want to talk about blind bidding processes and the deception that takes place in our market today, which is potentially the reason that it's gotten as crazy as it has. Maybe had we dealt with the multiple offers, the blind bidding wars back in 2017, by the time COVID came around, we wouldn't have had ourselves such a crisis. But here we are, here we stand today. What do we do about it? Financial Post had an article called Sold Over Asking Why Homes Are Being Sold for Far More Than Their List Price. Here's what they say. Accelerating housing prices often imply that homes are selling for far more than their list or asking prices, which leaves prospective buyers and real estate professionals at a loss when it comes to knowing what to bid. I love this kind of definition to bring everyone up to, to speed. Coming up with a reasonable offer is even more complicated when home sales turn into auctions. Homes in high demand markets are being sold with an offer date. I would say, I guess they're, they are high demand, but they're not necessarily in urban centers. They're, they're across the country. 
forcing prospective buyers into first price sealed bid auctions, also known as blind auctions, where buyers simultaneously bid without knowing what others have bid. We got a lot of realtors listening to our podcast. They're shaking their head. They're like, I hate it. I hate it. I get messages all the time. I just was in a 15 multiple offer. I feel bad. I feel bad for myself too. I mean, whoever's in that situation, it's great if you're selling. Unfortunately, you're usually moving somewhere. And so you're on the other, you're on the other side at some point. But according to Mustafa Abbasi, founding president and chief revenue officer of Zolo, he said this, the list price used to be one of the most important factors when listing a home as it signaled the seller's expected price to prospective buyers. It's really funny. List prices have virtually no meaning anymore. It's pathetic. As alternative explanation is that homes are being deliberately listed at lower prices than recent comparable sales to attract a larger cohort of buyers. A lot of people don't recognize this. Let's say let's say the home is worth nine hundred thousand. I'm going to list it for eight hundred thousand. I just grabbed an entire cohort, another group of buyers that never would qualify for that property, but I got their attention and I got their blind offer coming at me when I do my presentation. Such a move can generate exposure with more prospective buyers. The bidding process though involves two steps. Prospective buyers must register an intention to bid by a specific time. We fill out a form called 801, just to say I've got a signed offer. And subsequently we submit that bid before the deadline and then all hell breaks loose. But this, this is where it gets crazy. This is where it gets crazy. Real estate agents offer a general rule of thumb. Because I know dealing with buyers, they say, what, sh- what do you think we should offer? What should we go in at? I've heard so-and-so say, and they'll say something crazy like this. If you add 5% to the list price for every registered bid, for, then you'll win. So for example, if a house is listed at 999000 or a million dollars and eight bids are registered on a property, an enthusiastic buyer might be tempted to bid 40% more than the list price. So the problem is people saying, you know what, as a rule of thumb, for every, and these numbers are just blank. It's like for every offer is an extra 5,000. For every offer is an extra 1%, like all over the map. And this is unfortunately being preached to some folks, even my own clients. And I have to say, guys, here's my rule of thumb. <laughs> Any agent that uses that rule of thumb, you need a new agent, okay? It's just, it's it's not the way to do it. It's not the way to do it. You need to look at comparables. You need to... You need to know what's going on in the market. Now, obviously things are changing constantly. You got to be informed, but don't use a rule of thumb. Don't like this, this could go, it goes really sideways. And I think that that's what leads inexperienced, as they say, inexperienced agents to misguide folks, unfortunately, into saying, we'll just do this. And now the nice part is at least you'll never know you overpaid by how much you overpaid. I guess that's the one thing that keeps, that keeps, um, (laughs) keeps us fair. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But I think you should give up while you're ahead, right? We got multiple offers. Give up while you're ahead. I mean, Murphy's Law says you get laid off due to COVID. So you take a job at an origami factory, which is great until it folds. <laughs> uh, can't we just end blind bidding wars then? Can't we just like say no more blind bidding wars? That's it. That's it. I've been saying that for a while. I actually was in a bit of a debate with my, with my office about that saying, you know what? Why can't we figure this out? I mean, we can't just, I mean, it's so much easier to say, no, no, because this is a longstanding industry with very powerful associations that if we had it our way, we would keep it as is, as much as possible. So to change something up like this is a drastic measure. While a Toronto state, a Toronto broker is pulling out a call to action to cool obnoxiously high home prices, encouraging the real estate industry to mandate offer transparency and end blind bidding. 
not me. <laughs> Someone else. Someone else said, quote, it's time for realtors to be bold and look at ways we can help ensure that as many people as possible realize their home ownership dreams and that they are protected in the process of doing so. That's Philip Kochev, broker and managing partners at iPro Realty. He says this, offer transparency can be simple. This is the pitch mandate or at least allow the option which i believe that will be what they do and unfortunately people won't opt for that option but let's say rework it mandate for the disclosure of the best offer on the table to all competing offers you got 10 offers well you don't have to disclose all of them but we definitely need to disclose the top offer okay that's the pitch Mireille Mansour, a broker of Remax, says, described agents who are potentially new to the business or unfair of the value of the neighborhood will come into multiple offer situations and unnecessarily overbid to win. We kind of talked a little bit about that. Great point, right? We got different levels of experience. I mean, if I'm going to be going into a court, I want to have the best lawyer, right? So, so obviously, no two in the service industry, no two professionals are created equally, and that could line up certain clients. Well, such highly inflated winning offers then began to set an unsustainable standard for prices in the neighborhood. So you could say, well, that's their fault. They're an idiot. They bought it. They're a realtor. They overpriced it, and they ran up to the roof. Well, guess what? Times it by a thousand, times it by happening constantly. Now what we have is a runaway, <laughs> a runaway standard for prices in the GTA. Treb CEO John DeMichael says, this is not something Treb can do. That's not up to them. They say it's actually a government we need to step in to impose the regulations, which I don't know if that's true or if that's just kind of a kick to the can, maybe. But DeMichael says, or DeMichelle says, he understands why people are calling for an end to the blind bidding, but warns it has to be done in a way that protects people's privacy, especially since whoever's in the room will know how high certain bidders will pay for a home, which is not a big deal. Right? If you think about it, who cares? I mean, you knew it. You, you could have beat it. That was the best offer and you didn't come in at that price. Not a big deal if the thing sells. But let's say we have conditions. There's other layers, right? There's other layers to an offer, right? We've got, here, I'll give you a small list that I wrote, if I can find it. Okay, no, I'm gonna do it off the top of my head because I can't find my list. We got conditions, right? We got closing dates, preferred closing dates. We got inclusions. We got exclusions. All of these things. We got so many other clauses that aren't even necessarily conditions that are built into these offers, which make them not exactly the same. So if we're going to disclose information, you can disclose all of it. You can disclose just the price. What does this look like? And then what happens if that person's financing condition falls through? Now it's back on. No sale data should have been published, but guess what? 15 other agents now know what it had sold for before. Kind of an imbalance when it comes to, to putting an offer into, I don't know. There's just more layers here. It's not as simple as saying the high, I guess that's the point I want to get. But Kochev clarifies the disclosure of all offers or personal information is not necessary. So you don't have to say everything. But the process he proposes will just allow competing bidders to know the best offer they're up against and to respond accordingly. Anyways, we got Ontario NDP housing critic Jessica Bell adds the transparent open auction process is prevalent in Australia. So if Australia can do it, we can do it. And that's kind of been the approach, which I think is fair. I mean, we wouldn't be the first to pull this off. It is entirely possible to come up with regulation that protects people's privacy is what she says. Anyways, the whole point here is to stop practices that mislead clients. Listen to this. How many times have you had a client the next day, once they know the selling price, say, oh, I would have gone 10 grand higher if I knew. That's kind of what they're trying to deal with because 
which is kind of funny. In that scenario, you'd think, well, that would actually push the price up a little bit higher. I, for anyone who's going to stand on the side and say, if you open up the bidding process, you're going to increase prices even more. I think, I, I just think that's wrong, to be honest with you. But maybe I'm missing something. But homes that are listed for hundreds of thousands below what they're worth are selling for closer to what the realtors know they're actually worth. But quote, home sells for close to asking price doesn't sound as sexy as quote, sold for $500,000 over asking, which realtors love to throw in ads and see in news headlines. And you're sitting back and looking and saying, why do I not have $100,000 over asking? Because guess what? They sold it for 100000 below what you could have in the market that we're in if you priced your home correctly. But people want to be sexy. They want that headline and, and whatever. Who cares? Who cares what you sell your house for as long as you sell it 100000 over asking? <laughs> but I think it's about time that someone other than myself tells the industry to stop destroying the brick factory. I say, stop. We need the bricks. And then the realtors be like, <laughs> that's why we're demolishing it. Get the bricks. <laughs> but Ottawa Citizen had an article. Not obviously not as as popular as some of the, the local news articles, but I really liked the way they approached this because I thought it was a lot more direct to the problem that we face with multiple offers in the blind bidding process. They say, when will the provincial government wake up and offer homebuyers some basic consumer protections? People buying a million dollar home have fewer safeguards than someone buying a $10,000 used car. Anything is worth what people are prepared to pay for it, but how you establish the figure is important. Which multiple bids now the norm Buying a house has turned into an auction, but with one critical difference. At a real auction, you'd know what competitors are bidding on. When buying a house, you have no idea. Realtors aren't legally allowed to say what the bids are. You could easily overshoot someone else by 50000 Then they say, at least I had the decency not to tell you that that was the case. But this is the problem. This is the problem. An auction where buyers have full information about competing offers wouldn't stop people, they say, from overspending. This is the argument that I kind of disagree with. Maybe on a case-by-case, -case, there's a couple scenarios. But generally, I think this would be a real... For, for two reasons. One, I think this would actually stop the multiple offers going way out of this country priced high. Like, way overpriced. The other thing is there would be a naturally a psychological impact, which we need to be careful about. I think that would actually be the bigger issue at play. So anyways, we're going to jump. I'm, I'm way overdoing this here. So here's what I got. This is my, my closing remarks. Keep in mind, prices isn't the only issue with multiple offers. That's where I got my points. Are we disclosing all of the items or are we disclosing only the price? And what impact will that have? Because other items can be deal breakers. I mean, people have one multiple offers with the same dollar amount. Let's be clear here. What are policymakers? Here's the question. What are policymakers watching as they decide what intervention is needed? Because if they're thinking we're going to have an intervention such as no blind bidding wars, what are they watching? And what I hope that they're not watching is the market stats. Because the market stats are going to be rather skewed as we look into April 2021, which will be coming out in the next week or two. Scott Ingram says, I've been trying to brace people about April year over your comps and I've talked about sales volume. Today, I want to highlight prices. Look how average prices for freehold dove last April. If April 2021 prices stay flat from March, just by not diving, they'll be up 35% year over year. 35%. So there's your baseline. 
Then he goes on to clarify, obviously the price drops that we saw in 2020 weren't true dro drops. There was actually just a change in the housing types that were sold. Detached fell from 73% to 66%, over $2 million home sell from 14% to 8%, and over $3 million home sell from 3.8% to 2.1%. So we had drops in the larger, higher price point homes as far as sales, which skewed the dollar amount that sold, which is going to make 2021, if it's flat, look ridiculous. <laughs> Brace for impact. I hope that is not the number. The year-over-year -year number is not being used in determining how crazy our market because all we needed is another 35% increase in sales price year-over-year -year for someone to press the big red button. So anyways, in conclusion, May 2021 year-over-year -year stats and April 2021 year-over-year -year stats specifically are a complete write-off. Anybody who says the market is on fire next week when the stats come out is no better than a damn tennis factory that opened up near my place. They're just making a racket. <laughs> uh, there used to be a ruler factory there, but then they went out of business. They just couldn't measure up to the competition. <laughs> but boom, shh. Let's get into some hot topics, shall we? Please like and subscribe if you haven't already and subscribe if you're curious why I live in an industrial park. We're going to start off discussing a mid-hot housing market stretched borrows, maybe stretching the truth to get loans. They are feeling stretched and they're cheating the system. The recent surge in home prices has a federal regulator reminding lenders to stay sharp. And then they go on to tell this whole story. They were talking to Dan Eisner, chief executive at True North Mortgage, who said, I must say, this is the most advanced employment fraud I've come across. <laughs> so here's what's going on. So they had an employee that noticed that there were two letters for two different borrowers, two different employers that had the same signature. And this is how they figured it out. And they kind of unwound it and they found out people were cheating on the letters, the job letters, the pay stubs, the employment contact information, which someone picked up that phone and their websites, they had super deep websites just to create fraud in order to get that mortgage. Because let's face it, if you're not invested in Toronto today, good luck tomorrow. But increased fraud is definitely an indication of a heated market. When prices are on fire, it's nice to live up the street from a factory that makes fire hydrants. <laughs> you just can't park your car there. <laughs> Blogtio had another article. So many new Toronto apartment buildings have offered free rent deals this year. This is a little bit of us reminiscing about all the deals that were available to us. And I want to discuss a little bit about where rent is today. Some of you are renters. Some of you are landlords. I think it's important that we know. Rent prices seem to be stabilizing in the city of Toronto after more than a year of spiraling downward, but data suggests that tenants will continue to reap the financial benefits of unprecedented free all for years to come. All the drops we experienced, they're saying, could be years of benefits for tenants. In the GTA, vacancy rates for newer purpose-built rental apartments surged to 6.6% in the first quarter of 2021, and when we look in the city of Toronto, it's even higher at 8.8%. Just to put this into context, last year the same period was at 1.1%, a crazy increase as far as the, uh, as far as the, what am I, vacancy rates. Okay, quote, about two thirds of buildings were offering free rent periods of one to three months to attract new tenants. Two thirds of them, two thirds of them. I had clients that bought properties that filled them with tenants that also applied this strategy. Urban Nation calculated that these free rent periods were equal to a rent reduction of approximately $255 per month when averaged over the course of the initial lease term. People were getting deals and deals are still to be had in our market today. That's what I wanted to share with you, the incentives that were available. Let's move along. Canadian real estate is the second biggest driver of inflation. Inflation is a big target that the Bank of Canada is watching to dictate when are we going to increase interest rates. Well, 
Canadian real estate is not the number one spot for inflation. It's the number two spot, but it did make a sharp increase in the last month. The current amount of growth now looks on target, but central banks are ignoring that. Instead, the Bank of Canada said it will look for, quote, sustainable inflation next year. And, uh, and as a, I guess, just to kind of wrap that up, the number one spot went to gasoline prices. But you need quality control before a successful property or product, sorry, leaves the shop. And in the case of housing, inflation is that quality control. You know the last thing they give every Tickle Me Elmo before he leaves the factory? Two test tickles. <laughs> That's my favorite joke today. That's my favorite one. Betterdwelling.com. Canada is now completing 18 homes for every person the population grows. Articles like this, I love them because they're way like, you're cheating. I mean, the headline is so cheating. But this is the numbers. There are now 18 homes completed for every person of the population that, in, that grows. New home completions are up 12.9 from the same period last year, which is really the true number. We're up 13%. Developers have been so busy, there are shortages from labor to lumber. It was the largest Q4 for completions, housing starts and closes, completions of houses, since 2018. Before that, a Q4 hadn't seen this many completions since 2008. What was skewing the number then? I mean, we yeah, we got record numbers, but we're only up 13% year over year. There's no reason we wouldn't have 1 to 18. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Well, Canada's population grew by 2,767 people, which is down 89%. So this number is very skewed. I mean, 98.7% from the same quarter a year ago. That's like a massive 98% drop year over year for number of immigrants entering the country. The population growth. There's no, like that alone should explain the crazy, but their point here is that if supply was truly an issue, we have supply coming to market. We've been, we've been working on getting the supply for the last few years. It's finally here. So why are prices accelerating? Why are prices going up? And I would sit back and take a second to just say, well, this is maybe part of the solution. As we're starting to see this increase in number of active listings, maybe it has kind of dealt with itself. Maybe we got extremely lucky that completions took place in this particular year. Okay, we're gonna get into our last and final topic. This conversation of the new mortgage stress test, they changed the numbers on us. They increased what that rate is. They think they made it harder for, I think it was 4% of people to qualify or what your buying power would be if you were buying a property. Well, the stress test, According the banks are circumventing this, one of the banks in particular doing it secretly, but the stress test appears to be hitting different people right now, right? Just like COVID shutdowns were especially bad for men, right? Like we're losing a dollar for every 79 cents women are losing. <laughs> the stress test disproportionately impacts, in this case, low income households. So this comes from a Better Dwelling article Canadian banks begin circumventing mortgage stress tests for high income clients. Here's what they say. A new mortgage stress test? Don't bother me with those peasant details. After Canada's property bubble attracted global criticism, they announced tighter mortgage rules on April 8th. OSFI increased the stress test, which we know about. By the following Monday, the next week, the first bank launched a pilot mortgage program to increase the maximum mortgage size. They just didn't do it publicly. So they increased the buying power, but we didn't tell anybody about it. So the stress test checks, the purpose is it checks the borrower's income against the higher rates higher rates than what they're qualifying for on the mortgage. Instead of checking if a borrower can afford a mortgage at a contract rate, they see if they can pay a much higher one, which is kind of like, well, you can afford a 5% mortgage. So therefore go ahead and take your 1.8, right? 
But if tested at a higher rate, the borrower gets the benefit of cheap debt without spending more. It also ensures they can afford the payment and the economy doesn't give more points of spending to housing. It's an all-around win for the most part. So they're standing and saying, the stress test is a good thing. So maybe we shouldn't have loopholes? <laughs> well, guess what? We got a loophole. We got ourselves a loophole. The benchmark, the rate, by the way, went from 4.79 to 5.25. And there it is. The, ben the max borrowing power went down 4.5% to the current level. So two things to note here that they're looking at. They're looking at GDS and TDS. Most lenders cap the, the, the GDS at 35% and the TDS at 42% of income. That's kind of the norm. Well, enter our secret pilot program from Scotiabank. Scotiabank is the first bank to launch a pilot to increase leverage post-update. As of April 12th, the bank has launched a hush-hush pilot program that raises the TDS to 50%. From what we say, 42% up to 50% with no specific GDS. An agent explained this means they'll approve the GDS on a case-by-case -case basis up to the TDS as long as it fits within the risk profile for the lender. Interesting. Interesting. And it's funny they say an agent explained it because they couldn't get this to come from head office. They're not talking about it. They're not. No one's really discussing that this is a, a, a program that's available. Borrowers in the pilot wouldn't see their leverage drop 4.5% from today's level after the stress test increase. Instead, they would see their budget increase up to 40%. So now it just got 40% higher purchase price. Let's go. Let's go. Who needs an OSFI announcement? <laughs> so it just goes to show you that the, the change in the stress test was a minor. It was a hiccup. It really was a hiccup. So who qualifies? Because maybe this is a product that would work for you. The pilot is for branches in BC, Ontario, and Quebec and applies to ideal mortgage borrowers. The applicant's uninsured bureau risk indicator, the BRI, must be A-rated and there must be only two borrowers on the application and their combined income needs to be over $120,000 per year. If you feel like you fit in that category and you don't want to deal with a stress test, you want to deal with whatever the heck this is called, give Scotiabank a shout. I'm not working or advertising on behalf of Scotiabank. I think, I, in fact, I think it's really sketchy the way that they're not promoting on their website. They're not talking to reporters. They're just kind of giving this silent wink when you call them and ask about the product and they're answering them on a case-by-case -case basis. So all to wrap this point up, the question is, is does this really mess with us? No, it's not more risky lending. Not really. There would be a, a lot that would need to go into it in order for an uninsured mortgage borrower for the bank to lose. Several stars need to line up for this to be actually a problem. So it's not a problem. It's just the bank taking it in their own hand. The risk is pretty low for lenders. Personally, they say it would be surprising to not see other banks roll out similar programs once they find out. The pilot program does bring into question, though, whether a higher stress test makes sense in this case. While it lowers leverage for some, the low income, the rules don't apply to everyone. The stress test has just become one more barrier to entry for the lower class. Funny how that worked out. If we want to truly remove the inherent bureaucracy, we need to do what the donut industry did. Cut out the middle, man. <laughs> I had some fun today. I hope you guys did too. If you learned something, please subscribe to our channel and hit that like button. Thanks for tuning in. I'm going to keep sharing market insights with you guys because I love what I do. Trust me, I've worked at a helium factory and I resigned after like a week. I wasn't going to be spoken to like that. I'll see you guys. I'll see you guys next time. Take care and keep it real.